Thanks to Harry's for supporting the Motley Fool and Industry Focus. For a free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Jen, and it's Tuesday, May 9th. Today's show will be focused on company tie-ups and partnerships that have been making headlines in the past few weeks. And joining me via Skype to talk corporate matrimony is SeniorFool.com contributor Asad Sharma. Welcome back, Asad. Great to have you with us. Awesome. Great to be back, Vince. So our first story is quite timely uh, with the handbag and accessories maker Coach announcing yesterday morning that it would be acquiring industry rival Kate Spade in a multi-billion dollar deal. Uh, Asit, you know, just a really quick take uh, before we dive into some of the specifics that I'll share with our listeners. You know, what's just your overall first impression of the deal? Well, overall, I, I think it's probably a smart deal. I do like the fact that Coach, which We've seen uh, their portfolio extend out and broaden. They're picking up another very nice brand, which has some potential. Uh, the buzz about this deal is that um, Coach is going to acquire millennial shoppers through Kate Spade. But um, I, I want to throw off something controversial from the start and get your opinion. Um, to me, this is Coach's idea of millennial shoppers. <laughs> I think to, to uh, a certain age group, millennial shoppers are looking at brands that are even younger and more hip than Kate Spade. Sure. Um, however, the data that I, I've seen says about 60% of their customers are so-called millennials. So I do like it at, at you know, the very top-level inflection of this deal. Uh, I think it will be beneficial for both companies. Yep. Uh, just getting into some of the deal basics here before we dive into uh, specifics about you know what management's thinking, what coach and their team you know is trying to achieve through this kind of deal. Uh, this is an all cash transaction. A coach has it currently has a net cash position of about 1.3 billion dollars. So with the offering price, uh, they're giving uh, Kate Spade shareholders 18.50 per share, and that's just a nine percent premium to the Friday closing price. This deal was announced. Uh, first thing Monday morning, but that is after the stock enjoyed a pretty bullish run in uh, in the past few months, just because uh, the Wall Street Journal reported in late December that Kate Spade was seeking out a buyer uh, due to pressure from an activist investor. So if you look at Kate Spade uh, Kate Spade's uh, stock trading prior to the report, this eighteen fifty per share offer price actually represents about a twenty seven point five percent premium. And the deal is expected to close in the third quarter of 2017. Um, you know, something that gets mentioned in a lot of these press releases announcing uh, an M&A deal. You know, they see run rate cost synergies of 50 million dollars within three years of deal close. And you know, after the deal closes, Coach's portfolio, um, as you mentioned, Austin, will now have you know its namesake brand. It'll have Stuart Weitzman. Uh, the the shoe company it acquired, I believe, in 2015, and now this uh, Kate Spade added to its portfolio. Um, I'd like to get into, I guess, setting the stage a little bit, uh, at least for Coach, in terms of a little bit of what they've seen in the past few years, because this is definitely a company that um, you know struggled quite a bit uh, in the 2013, 2014, 2015 period, and uh, you know management has very f- been very focused on making certain tweaks to turn the business around. Uh, 
thinking about optimizing their store footprint after you know growing it very quickly and then running into some weakness in retail and, and seeing um, you know this kind of bloated network hurting them. Uh, just revitalizing their brand after lots of discounting and promotion kind of took away some of that aspirational nature of it. But overall, um, I think what it comes down to is that Coach can take some of the lessons it's learned from its previous run um, and the issues that it had from its subsequent recovery and hopefully apply that to Kate Spade a little bit and, and kind of take its uh, take the Kate Spade business to the next level. But what do you think, Asif? I, I agree, Vince. I mean, if you were to look at uh, Coach's um, revenue for the past five years, uh, they certainly have had a, a U-shaped curve. They sort of peaked um, right in the middle of 2013, as you were talking about, and that revenue has fallen uh, about 12% since that period, and it's picked up uh, since about midway through 2015. And that reflects their learning curve, as you mentioned. One of the things that Coach is going to be very keen on with Kate Spade is to understand what channels should we sell in. Uh, they're pulling back from department stores, and you and I have covered uh, this many times that the, the retail industry is in deep flux. So if you are in brick and mortar, you really need to be rethinking your strategy. And Coach has done that. What Kate Spade provides it is a sort of uh, portfolio beyond us, beyond that uh, namesake brand, which frankly, five years ago, Coach thought it would bank on forever. Uh, it's, it's no longer, as you mentioned, this really aspirational brand, but it still uh, has an extremely respected space in the luxury segment. And we can see Coach potentially uh, becoming a player in, in the broader luxury segment. Kate Spade could be a good experiment. Um, it, could, it could add on very conceivably some other high-end brands and have a more aggregated approach to revenue. So condensing all that down, Coach is thinking in terms of channels, where will we be selling? Uh, and it's also thinking in terms of brands beyond us, brands beyond Coach. And that's, again, uh, another reason why shareholders should be pleased that the premium on this deal, as you mentioned, it's not that huge, so it's an efficient spend for Coach. And I think uh, for Kate Spade, they get uh, a very uh, deep-pocketed parent that can help with some of the issues that this brand has been experiencing. And I'll, I'll flip it back to you if you want to jump into uh, what we've seen with Kate Spade. Yeah, but I think uh, something uh, that I wanted to uh, speak to to provide some context is just the scale of these businesses. So, uh, last twelve months, Coach uh, over four billion dollars in revenue. Kate Spade about one and a half billion dollars. And if you look at uh, their their store networks and their footprint, you know, Coach between its uh, actual retail stores uh, as branded, you'll see them in malls and shopping centers. They have their outlets, and they also have. Um, and this is something that you mentioned that they've started cutting back on, but this is their shopping shops and department stores, you know, where they have their dedicated space, all coach products in major department stores. They're cutting back on that, but still between those three different categories, you know, over 900 uh, stores, whereas Kate Spade is just over 250. And I'm looking at some of the financials for Coach in the past few years, and you mentioned how uh, in around 2014, 2015, the revenues began to the revenues declined. Uh, you know, after putting up uh, several years of double-digit growth, but just something that's really telling too is on the uh, on the bottom line. You know, you really see their operating margin uh, start to get squeezed. You know, as they are 
uh, moving into certain channels that, yes, help them uh, are, are potentially helping them to grow that top line, but they take a hit with discounting and with promotions, you know, kind of just having to lower that price to move product. You know, the operating margin in 2013, for example, over 20%, and then in the most recent last 12 months, about half that at 11%. I think they're trying to prevent. Kate Spade, you know, with this acquisition from experiencing the same thing, and management spoke to this actually uh, specifically when talking about some of their main priorities once they add Kate Spade to their portfolio is getting the company out of these flash sales and uh, certain wholesale channels, especially in urban areas where you have a lot of customers who can essentially access Kate Spade goods. Cheaper and that hurts not only uh, their profitability, but it also you know hurts to associate the brand with that lower price point. And otherwise, you know, if you look at uh, you know the networks for these stores and the customers for these stores, I, you know, I know you mentioned you were a little skeptical, Asit, about the idea of you know the millennial access that Kate Spade offers. Uh, you know, coaches uh, internal, I guess, research team, you know, said about sixty percent of Kate Spade customers are. Uh, in that millennial category, but otherwise their overlap doesn't seem uh, too bad. About 35% of Coach stores overlap with Kate Spade locations at the moment, and Coach claims from its research that only 10% of cus- their actual customers overlap, presenting uh, uh, an opportunity there for them to branch out and kind of bring people into the fold. Um, but I think if you're th- uh, looking at this longer term. As a coach investor, and the 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 benefits that that coach can bring to the Kate Spade brand into their network, it's really with in terms of distribution and kind of broadening and expanding the the markets that Kate Spade operates in. Uh, during the conference call where they announced the deal, uh, management talks about the fact that brand awareness in North America for Kate Spade at thirty percent, for Coach at seventy percent. Whereas in Japan, which is the the main Asian market where Kate Spade operates, it's 11% for Kate Spade, 50% brand awareness for Coach. And then in China, where Kate Spade is only about 1%, pretty much untapped, Coach has 23% awareness. So, just to give you an idea of kind of how uh, Coach can help Kate Spade expand its distribution significantly. And I like the fact overall that Coach is, you know, thinking longer term. You know, after previously sacrificing their brand for near-term growth and results, they're willing to endure some near-term financial pain uh, for more sustainable growth, essentially. And with Kate Spade, they've noted that pulling out of flash sales, pulling out of these wholesale channels will hurt near-term uh, growth and revenue, but longer term, it just makes it much more sustainable. And all you know, the way I think about it too is, is a company that reminds me of is Urban Outfitters business. You know, this is a company that has several distinct brands that are intended to appeal to younger shoppers, and then you keep them loyal and moving them into the other brands within the company portfolio throughout their lives as their tastes change as they mature. And this is, I guess, Coach's way of potentially doing that. You know, getting the millennials at Kate Spade, and then, then uh, even though they say their core uh, customer demographic for Coach is and people in their 20s to 40s, you know, I think generally it appeals to an older shopper. Bringing them in, uh, you know, after they reach that point from Kate Spade. But any final thoughts, Asset, uh, on this deal uh, in terms of management's approach uh, before we before we wrap up here? Yeah, sure. So I just wanted to reiterate uh, basically what you're saying, Vince, but slap a metaphor on it. This is like the older uncle uh, who comes and, and grabs the wayward 
uh, nephew and, and says, come on, kid, you did a few things wrong. I'm going to help you out. <laughs> if you look at uh, coaches penetration into agents, brand recognition, you're absolutely right that they can help Kate Spade grow. And also being that stricter type of avuncular figure to tell Kate Spade that, you know, the way you're approaching your margin uh, is detrimental to the long-term growth of your, your brand and our combined profits. And one thing that, last thing that shareholders uh, should be pretty excited about, if you were to look at Kate Spade, uh, go back a few years, it was trading, you know, in the hundreds and uh, dwindled down uh, the stock price. Um, well, apologize, the, um, the, the valuation of Kate Spade, uh, what we call uh, EV to EBITDA. It's just a fancy term uh, for uh, the earnings and uh, relationship between earnings and the market value, including the debt. Mm -hmm. uh, Kate Spade now, that, that valuation was in the hundreds. It's dwindled all the way down to just below 11. And Coach has its own valuation at around 13. So when you, whenever you acquire a company whose enterprise value to EBITDA is lower than yours, that's good for shareholders. And so there's some long-term value that Coach will probably take advantage of by buying a company which gets less economic benefit out of every dollar than it does. Just as you say, Vince, it's going to improve uh, Kate Spade's financials. It's going to improve the distribution, uh, move it into new markets. And I think that's going to be a great thing long-term for shareholders. I still am skeptical, though, on who exactly this millennial shopper is. Yep. Uh Final points that I'll make. Uh, again, this deal is expected to close in the third quarter of this year, um, and management has said that the deal uh, should be accretive really by the end of fiscal 2018 for Coach. And just big picture, uh, and something that I thought was interesting that uh, on the coach management side and the CEO has stated, and, you know, he was the one who instituted a new creative director to kind of take the company's uh, image and its offerings into a more classic. Uh, uh, style that you know people would respect and again have that aspirational luxury value. But something uh, he's also spoken to is you know with the Stuart Weisman deal is, and then now adding uh, Kate Spade is this idea of creating an American fashion conglomerate similar to a lot of the major players that we see in Europe and basically hoping that the increased scale and the diversification of their product and their brand portfolio um, will allow them to expand and grow you know uh, you know well into the future so uh, this is you know i would say their first big big step into potentially uh, uh, achieving that goal uh, but it's definitely uh, will be one that is interesting to watch so before we uh, move on to talk about our next partnership. I want to thank Harry's again for supporting this podcast. I've been a uh, loyal and happy customer with Harry's for about a year now, and after messing with electric razors, cheap disposables, and safety razors in the past, Harry's has made my mornings so much better because, frankly, I'm the complete opposite of a morning person. So when I start my day, I just want to get ready and get out the door. And it helps to have a routine that is as simple and relaxing and enjoyable as possible. So when it came down to it, you know, the electric razors, they really never gave me a close enough shave. They're supposed to be fast and convenient, but I always end up needing like 50 passes and wasting a lot of time in front of the mirror. Uh, the generic disposables, they're just not comfortable to use, lower quality blades. So I was going through them really quickly or getting nicked 
on a regular basis. And as much as I enjoy the old school safety razor, you know, it takes me almost half an hour to get through the whole process in the morning. And those are frankly precious, precious minutes I realized I would much rather spend sleeping. So Harry's won me over by combining the best aspects of these other options with something that's fast and gives a really close, comfortable shave. And to top it off, they offer hands down one of my favorite shave creams that I've ever tried. It smells fantastic and has a really rich lather that I like best. And Harry's is so confident that you will love their products that they're offering foolish listeners a trial set for free. All you have to do is pay $3 for the shipping. So to give it a shot and get your free trial set, which includes an ergonomic razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com fool right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash fool. All right, our second company tie-up now, Asit, uh, we have two beloved American institutions, Comcast and Charter, because who doesn't absolutely love their cable company? But uh, recently, Comcast unveiled a first look at Xfinity Mobile, basically uh, its foray into a wireless service offering. Uh, this was announced in April, uh, early April, and at the core of this offering, you know, Comcast wants to piggyback on the Verizon network, while also allowing its mobile customers to access its Wi-Fi hotspots across the country. It actually has 16 million of them. Pretty impressive. So, uh, basically, this gives subscribers uh, connectivity and an affordable price, according to them. Uh, if you're somewhere without a hotspot, you're on the Verizon network. Otherwise, you just connect to the Wi-Fi. Uh, they tout certain uh, figures, like the fact that I think 70 or 80% of wireless traffic is over Wi-Fi networks, not LTE networks. And... Uh, I guess is icing on the cake of this uh, recent uh, announcement for Xfinity Mobile, uh, Comcast and Charter now announcing this week that they would be partnering up for some of their wireless efforts. Uh, in terms of, I guess the idea being, you know, they invest together in some of the infrastructure, uh, the operational aspects to tackle what is a very competitive space. Uh, what are your, some of your initial thoughts uh, on, you know, Xfinity Mobile or the partnership, and just the idea that you know these companies trying to dive into into this space i think it's interesting how um vague the wording of the agreement was you know, we <laughs> yeah. got back that they're going to explore these operational efficiencies um, but nothing really specific some back office billing uh improvement in the mutual wi-fi networks one of the interesting things in the agreement is that they're restricted charter and comcast to only exploring so-called material transactions in the wireless industry. What does that mean? Uh, to me, it means there could be a joint venture down the road. I think this potentially opens up uh, the door for a team up to maybe buy uh, a wireless network, um, perhaps Sprint uh, or, or T-Mobile are the, the two companies that would come to mind. I think it's, it's a case of, two, as you say, two very beloved brands. <laughs> Um, we say that somewhat facetiously, but two very large companies that are looking for ways to continue to grow their revenue. Uh, last year, Comcast uh, did about $80.5 billion in revenue, and Charter booked close to $30 billion, $29 billion. So once you reach that size of uh, scale, especially in the cable industry, which itself is, is broad with uh, you know, potentially slower growth, there's almost no alternative but to try to monetize the, the leg that each of these companies has into Wi-Fi. And I think for Comcast, you know, maybe they can better monetize uh, those hotspots uh, is one sort of tangible and obvious thing they can get out of this deal. 
But again, I'm intrigued by the possibility that there's something uh, bigger in the works, perhaps for next year in the 2018 timeframe. What are your thoughts, Vince? No, that's a that's a really interesting idea. I had not even considered that. Uh, there have been rumors in the past of deals uh, within this space, uh, not only on the, on the cable company side with Comcast and Charter, um, uh, but uh, potential deals in terms of uh, you know bringing in Sprint. Or T-Mobile, uh, you know, Verizon also looking at bringing in Charter potentially. So these kind of cross, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, cross-sector deals. Uh, it's definitely an interesting idea. But you know, the if you're looking, if you take this partnership announcement at at face value, the idea that uh, not only with the infrastructure, but you know, if Charter has its own Wi-Fi hotspots and a customer who's part of this mobile offering has access to those too, it, it kind of expands the reach, expands the quality uh, of, of the service. But uh, so, you know, something to keep in mind is, you know, right now the big four wireless companies, uh, they've already shown us year after year um, that competition is really intense. And yeah, for either of these companies, despite their size, their scale, their resources to get to to get into the wireless space, will be no easy feat. And so, I think it's important to note that uh, you know this this uh, this wireless offering that Comcast is is going to be giving to its subscribers. Uh, it is very much tied to its current customers. That's actually a requirement. Uh, if you want to sign up with Xfinity Mobile, you have to at least be an internet customer with Comcast at the moment. Uh, you know, so targeting its current customer base, and also uh, there's also uh, you know thinking about it on the Verizon side. You know, they are not going to want a really really uh, a big new competitor enter the space already uh, already pretty uh, intense, uh, and they've already had seen their subscriber numbers hurt. By the various promotions and the you know the really smart marketing from the smaller play- players like T-Mobile and Sprint, so uh, this is a, a an interesting way for Comcast to get into the space. And it reminds me of a service that you know my brother actually used to use. I think it was called Republic Wireless. Similar idea where you would only access uh, you know a, the actual I think LTE wireless service. Uh, when you absolutely had no access to Wi-Fi networks, it was driven mostly by Wi-Fi connectivity. Um, but the Xfinity mobile service, though announced, is not expected to launch for at least a few more weeks. Uh, when that happens, we'll have more details there. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Asit? Just that this is very similar to the previous transaction that we talked about between uh, Kate Spade and Coach, in that. Uh, if we're seeing this across industries that to broaden out revenue, there's consolidation uh, that's going to occur. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, in handbags or you're in wireless, the spectrum of services that you can provide is increasingly broad. So companies which, again, coach is similar both to Comcast and Charter in that all three are mature companies with some growth curves, we're going to see much more of this uh, in the coming years. Uh, and this industry in particular, uh, between uh, broadband, wireless, between content, there's no, going to be no end to the, the mergers and types we'll see. So my final thought is this is a precursor to some type of joint venture. Really quickly, that phrase, material transactions, so I came up through the ranks as an auditor, and the word material, usually in these contexts, uh, is related to your annual revenue. So for 
a transaction to be material between these two companies, as I said, uh, 20 billion, 29 billion on one side, 80 plus on the other. That implies to me that there's some type of acquisition or new company that is going to form out of this exploration on the wireless side uh, within maybe the next year or two. So keep your eyes open, keep them peeled. Let's see what happens. Thank you, Asit. And if uh, a theme that you know just came to me for both. Uh, the stories that we talked about today with Coach Kate Spade now Comcast and Charter, you know, it's the companies kind of seeing the writing on the wall, seeing that in one hand in the for Coach and Kate Spade in their space, uh, in the kind of like the middle level of the re, of the luxury uh, apparel and retail market, kind of that's seen a, a a lot of weakness recently. People either going up to the more premium level or going down to brands like H and M, more fast casual. Uh, uh, offerings, you know, needing to ha- consolidate there in order to d- diversify their business a little bit and kind of uh, put up a stronger moat, essentially. And here you have two companies in the uh, older cable space, kind of maybe seeing the writing on the wall with wireless, and now uh, you know making firing their first volley into the space, trying to to get a foot in the door before it's too late. But thanks again, Asit, for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Vince. Thanks a lot. And thank you, fools, for listening. Uh, you can reach out to us and the rest of the Industry Focus crew via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or send any questions to industryfocus at fool.com. And don't forget to check out podcast.fool.com to hear our other shows. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Fool on.